Praise God, we're all here. And we have the word of God as well. Let's open up scriptures today to a very familiar passage. I think very, for the saints, 29, uh, Jeremiah 29. I think we're going to have some saints who are going to be maybe doing some backflips on this verse because it's such a great verse. But before we go to Jeremiah 29, we're going to pray first, though. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are in your presence, Lord, and that you are interested in each one of our lives, intimately interested, and that you are able to do the things necessary in each one of our lives to make us into the people you want us to be. First of all, and foremost, if we're not saved, you're able to penetrate those hearts that need to be penetrated. And those that are saved, Lord, you're able to do the things necessary to to put us in the place and give us the direction we need so that we can live a life that truly glorifies you. So we pray for that this morning, that you would speak and our lives would be changed and you would be edified in your name. Amen. 29, Jeremiah, we're going to start with verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons And daughters and multiply there and do not decrease and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare for thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. Great passage, isn't it? And the verse that we all recognize as being just the... Just the encouragement for us as Christians when we're just struggling is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Praise God for that. So we're going to talk about four different points today. And the first point is the great trial or affliction. 
You think about affliction, and affliction is really common to man and woman. A lot of people have made a point about a book that was written years ago. And it was a book uh, written when bad things happen to good people. And I guess the guy's name was Rabbi Kushner. And he wrote it as a reaction to a tragedy that he had faced. His son had died from premature aging. And it provoked a crisis of faith in this man. And he wrote the book for people who were in the same boat, who have been hurt by life, and to help them find a faith that would aid them in getting through their troubles and getting through the situations that affected them. Now, it's interesting. This man, Kirshner, he attributes the the orderliness of the universe to God. He says, I believe that there's a God that created order. This universe has order, and he is the author of that order. But holds that the ordering of the universe is not complete. So I guess he says that God didn't finish the job. And then he goes on to say that some things are circumstantial and there's no reason to look for a reason in them. And he says in each case, he takes the position that God does not cause the suffering and could not prevent it. Now, when we say bad things happen to good people, I was reading something by John MacArthur, and he says, well, he'd love to write a book that says bad things happen to everybody. Because they do. I mean, you think about bad things. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody in this room. Maybe there's somebody outside of this room, but I just can't see if anybody in this room say, I've never had a bad thing happen to me. I've had a lot of bad things happen to me, personally. And I think we all can agree. Because what we are, we're in a bad world, aren't we? A fallen world. A world that... If we can't look around and see bad things, hmm, I don't know. We're not looking too clearly. So the question is, is why do bad things happen to all of us? And I think if you want to kind of get an answer to that, we need to go back to the garden. And we know that God had given Adam a commandment telling him, you can eat here, but don't eat there. You can have some of this fruit, but you can't have any of that fruit. And we know the story. Satan comes and tempts Eve and Adam. And all of a sudden there was a catastrophe and they ate the forbidden fruit. And this is the result. In Genesis, don't go there. Chapter 3, verse 16, it starts, says, To the woman, he says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. That sounds like a problem to me. Right out of the shot, right out of the block. I got a problem. He says, you have a problem. You're going to have a problem in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. If that's not a problem, I mean, that's a problem to me. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. (laughs) For some of us, that's a problem as well. (laughs) And to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground says, you have a problem now. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. But that doesn't sound like he said, I'm giving you a couple of breaks in between. He says, all the days of your life will be toil, pain, suffering, because you disobeyed. These are the consequences of sin. 
So I think the rabbi was missing something. Bad things happen to all of us because we're sinners. And so when we think about the trial and affliction, we need to go back and, and that portion that I read to you was the Israelites were captured by the Babylonians. And so that passage is telling the Lord is kind of giving them some encouragement that you are in trouble. And for 70 years, he kind of told them the plan. And I kind of would like to hear that. I mean, I'm going through trials right now, and I'd love to have the Lord say, well, you know, Ron, you're going to go through that trial for five years. So I know it's ending in 2012 or something. But just think if he told you 70 years from now, that trial that you're in right now is going to end. All of us except maybe Adel <laughs> wouldn't make it. Seventy years is a long time. But the Lord did tell them that it was going to end. But when you go to chapter 7 of Jeremiah, it kind of tells the story of why they were captives. It says, uh, chapter 7 of Jeremiah, starting in verse 22. I'll just kind of highlight a couple little points there. He says, I did not, for when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. He says, I didn't tell them about the sacrifice thing. Man, you got that down. You can sacrifice. You guys are good at killing the critters. You're good at that. But he said, no, but I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. And this is why they are captives. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. And the Lord knew. He even said in verse 27, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call them, they won't even answer. Therefore, say to the nation or say to them, this is a nation that has not obeyed the Lord. It's God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up lament on the barren heights for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. Problem, affliction. They were in the affliction. And we are in affliction, aren't we? I'm in affliction. You're in affliction, aren't you? Problems, difficulties. The great trial and affliction that man and women face on earth. And we're all in it. But what's the purpose of it? What is the purpose of it? Because there's always a purpose. Because that verse is one of the most wonderful verses because it says, I know the plans I have. I know the plans I have for you. I do have plans for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. So there's a reason for the pain, the suffering. And the plan is always what? The plan is always, as the Lord declares, for your good. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, the pain and suffering I'm going through, how could that be for my good? He wants us to make us into the right people so that he can do the right work through us. 
And first of all, what he wants to do is he wants to obviously, if we're in a trial and we haven't gotten saved, to bring us to a knowledge of him. To let us know that as I keep knocking you down and letting you see how it feels to look down at the ground because all of your your thoughts and your desires are falling through and they're bankrupt. The further down you go, the only place you can look is up. And when you look up, you will see the hands of Jesus holding out his hands and say, I have plans for you. And these plans are for your good. I want to save you, not to harm you. Spurgeon said something. He says, all precious things have to be tried. You never saw a precious thing yet which does not have a trial. A diamond must be cut. Hard cutting it needs as well. And were it capable of feeling pain, nothing would be more fretted and worried about than the diamond. A lot of pain, a lot of work goes into it, cutting a diamond. But it's precious. The end result is precious. Now, that's point number one, which has to do with what? Our great affliction. And then we go to point number two, our, the purpose. Just a couple of things I want you to think about when you think about the purpose. One of the things that the suffering does is it reveals our condition. It reveals the truth. When you press a person, you, what you do is you reveal what's inside that person. I heard a man years ago say, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out of the orange? And the audience actually was looking around, looking at notebooks and going through their palm pilots to figure out what comes out of an orange. Well, it's pretty obvious. You squeeze an orange, what comes out of an orange is orange juice. Nothing magical about it. When you squeeze a person, what comes out of a person? Is whatever is inside the truth. No lies come out of a person. When you strip away prosperity and you strip away health and you begin to peel it all back, you'll find out where a person's really made of, what's really inside. And another thing that God uses suffering for is to humble us. Now, humble is an interesting word. I looked it up in an old dictionary, and it says that it's to reduce to a low state, to crush, to break, make lowly in mind, to reduce arrogance and self-dependence, to make meek and submissive. God is interested because God is looking for something from each one of us. And remember, I want you to keep this verse in your mind. It's for your good. So when he's squeezing, it's for your good. When you face the trial, it's for your good. Because he doesn't do anything that's not good for us. And he doesn't allow anything that's not good for us. So he looks to humble us, to make us lowly in mind, to not depend on ourselves and our own arrogance. Because if we were able to be self-sufficient, what would we do? Why does the Bible say that it's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom? Why does he say that? Because when we're self-sufficient, we don't need God. So he has to strip us to humble us. And that's what he does. And praise God for that. 
And, you know, one of the greatest men in the scriptures dealt with it. Paul. In 2 Corinthians, and I'm not going to tell you the chapter, so you don't worry about going there. But it says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. He said, I gave you this problem because I wanted you to see that you can't handle it without me. And Paul got the message. Do we get that message? As believers today, do we get that message that his grace is sufficient? Do we get that? I don't get it like I should. And it's embarrassing at times. That the Lord tells me, Ron, my grace is sufficient. And I go around in circles at times chasing my tail, wondering, how am I going to get this? I, I, I've asked you, Lord, four times. Well, Paul didn't even go to the fourth time. He got it after three. He says, I beseech him. And the Lord says, no, Paul, just sit back and relax. It's okay. I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm not going to fix that trial. I'm not taking you out of the furnace. I'm not removing you from the furnace. I'm telling you, Paul, straight. You're not getting out of this trial. And he told the Babylonians, he says, after 70 years, then I will do it. But what do you mean after 70 years? Because it, you're not done yet. Do you ever take anything out of the oven that's not done and look at it? Who would eat it? It's not done yet. Put it back in the oven. And when it's done, you remove it. And all of a sudden, there's a blessing. It's done. It's ready. He said, I'm not removing it. But my grace is sufficient. I mean, I know you're asking for a solution. But he says, but, but the solution is grace because it's sufficient. What do you mean, Lord, is sufficient? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Brad, my grace is sufficient for you. For, for what? Well, so I can do the work I need to do in your character to make you the man I want you to be. So my grace is sufficient. Sufficient for what? Sufficient so that you can make it through this life. So that I can show you who you really are. And I can make you who you really should be. My grace is sufficient. It's going to take you right where you need to go. And you're going to end up right where you should be. And Paul got that. And another point about why he brings the trial is that it draws us to himself. He didn't go to Timothy or to Titus or some of his buddies. And maybe he did that at first and said, well, you know, I need help with this trial, this thorn in the flesh. I don't like it. It's not comfortable. I don't enjoy it. But he didn't go. He went to the Lord. It didn't say he went to them. He said he went to the Lord three times. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Are we going to the Lord? 
Are we taking it to the Lord, our trial, our problems, our situations? And number four, fourth point as far as why he brings the trials, the purpose, to display his grace. What is grace? Grace is wonderful. It's an unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Undeserved. I don't deserve it. He says, but, but my grace is sufficient. I'm going to give you, you'll have enough of my grace. That's what sufficient means. You write a check for $50, and what do they say in the bank if it's not good? It doesn't say sufficient. It says insufficient. Insufficient funds, click, wrong, problem. No, when it's sufficient, there's no problem. It's sufficient. He said, my grace is sufficient. It will not bounce. It will be just enough. And last point about why is he brings his suffering to perfect his power. He wanted his power to be there. He wanted to use Paul in a mighty way. And the only way he can do that, he says, I want you broken first. Because I can't use you unless you're broken of Paul. Unless you see that Paul has nothing. That Paul is bankrupt. That Paul knows I can't go anywhere and be anything without you. And one of my favorite verses that illustrates that, it's um, 2 Corinthians, not telling you where, but it says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships, and Paul is talking again about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Is there anybody in here that can say that? I can say that. Far beyond my ability to endure. He says, I had that kind of trial. And he's sharing it with the Corinthians. He says, so that we despaired even of life. I could have just died. It was so bad. The trial was so deep. The water was coming up and I couldn't breathe. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the silence of death. But, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said, this happened clearly. I know why. So that I wouldn't rely on Coop. He says, Coop, you don't have it. You're bankrupt. Do you get it yet? Do you get that you don't have anything of value to bring to this life? Accept your obedience and your trust and your reliance and your surrender and your acceptance. Third point. That's all of the purpose, the great promise. And Jeremiah 2911 tells us the great promise. He says, I know the plans I have for you, Ron Cooper. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, brother, because I love you. You're my son. I look at you, Ed, and I say, I know the plans I have for you, Ed. 
It looks like it's desperate, but my plans are not to harm you, but to prosper you, to help you, to give you hope and a future. What better promise do we have that the God of the universe, our Father, tells us straight to our face, I have a plan for you. And my plan, you got to understand it, it's for your good. It's not just a plan. It's a good plan. And Isaiah 46, 11 says, from the east, I summon a bird of prey from far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. The Bible tells us over and over the promises of God. He says, I will. I circled in a certain part of the Bible. I will. And it was just every page. I will. I will. I will never leave you comfortless. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will come to you. And God keeps giving us these promises that whatever I planned, I will achieve. And then Numbers says, God is not a man that he should lie. He does not lie. He can't lie. He's not like me. I lie. I lie. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's God. He does not lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. He said it's a promise. My plan is secure for your good. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Is that the God we love today? A God that would promise and to change his mind? Do we change our mind with our kids? I promise to do this. Sometimes we do. And it's agonizing, hopefully. He doesn't change his mind. I I have plans for you, and it's for your calamity. What do you mean? No. It's for your good. I'm not changing my mind. Never will he change his mind. It's always for our good. Always. And then it says in another verse in Jeremiah, it says, I will come to you and fulfill my grace. I'm a faithful God, and my words I will fulfill. I don't change my name. And it says that the, um, well, he takes care of our needs. They don't believe that. Birds believe and we don't. Critters believe and we don't. He says, my grace is sufficient. There's a song that I I can't stop listening to. It's called Hold On. And it says, I've been there a thousand times. I've been there like a fighter plane trying to fly my way through a hurricane and it's hard I know it's hard but he says but don't be afraid you'll make it through just call out to me and I'll come running to you and hold on hold on when the current pulls you under 
and your heart beats like thunder. Just give me your hand and hold on, hold on until the storm is over and I'll be fighting for you. Just give me your hand and hold on. I'll give you hope. I'll give you when the current pulls you under and your heart beats like thunder. Just give me your hand and hold on. I'm in the tide. You in the tide? Pulling me under. You getting pulled under? Hold on. Why? Because what I speak, I, I do. What I promise, I fulfill. The Lord says, hold on. Hold on. on. Ask me, what is the purpose of it? Last point, the great victory. Jesus is telling the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so that I was going to take you to heaven and the place that I was preparing for you was going to be magnificent and I wasn't going to fulfill my promise to you, this is my plan that I have for you. If it was not so, I wouldn't have told you so. He told the apostles that. This is the plan. I'm writing it in the blood. I'm going to... A place. The victory. The trial came. Then he tells us the reason for the trial. This is the reason for the trial. I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to conform you to my image. I'm trying to make you into a man or woman of God. I'm trying to save your life. I'm trying to make you useful for my kingdom. I'm trying to make you effective as a man or a woman of God so that you could be about my business. And I tell you my promises. This is what I promised to do. Do you believe that? And then he says, there's a victory that you can look around the corner for. And Jesus is writing it on the little slate board in front of his apostles that I'm going to a place and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. I am giving you that promise that there's a victory around the corner. Not just the promise that I'm going to help you through it all. Praise God for that. But I'm not going to just help you through it all. I'm going to take you from here and you're going to the heavenly kingdom with me. And we're going to have fellowship and we're going to be together forever. And there will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, no more suffering. We are victorious because of Christ. Today, I'm victorious. Because of his promise. And he says, what I speak, I fulfill. Philippians, well, I thought about something kind of goofy, but I was thinking about a game we used to play. And we would close our eyes and count. And then somebody would say, ready or not, here I come. You ever played that game, ready or not, here I come. Everybody's hiding. We don't know when he's going to say, ready or not, here I come. But he will say, are you ready? He's saying today, are you ready? Are you ready to, I, I, I'm telling you about my promises. 
But these promises are only for those who have a relationship with me. These promises are for those who are saved. These promises are for those who have accepted me into their hearts and said, I I accept it, this, this gift of salvation. This is a promise for those who believe. For those who don't believe, there's another promise, is that there will be eternal separation. And he says kind of like, well, I keep telling you the same message over and over, and you don't believe me? You don't know that I keep my promises? But, but, but I want you to understand something that's real important, he says, that the plans that I have for you are, are not for you evil, not to harm you. He says, I keep telling you not to harm you. I keep telling you not to discourage you. I keep inviting you not to make you feel uncomfortable. I keep saying, please, let me in. Not because I have any animosity towards you. My plans are for your good. Not to harm you, but to give you the promised life. A victorious life. A life with me forever in paradise. That's the promise. And he will fulfill his promise. Now, we can keep saying no, 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 when we consider all these things. Because we covered a lot of things in just a few minutes. A lot of things. The trial, the affliction, the purpose, the promise, the victory that we have in him. And it's great, but it's only for us in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. How many times are you going to lay knock on the door and you're going to say, no, thank you? How many times are you going to say, well, I, I, I don't want to play this game of Christianity. I don't want to play this game. He says, are you ready? Are you ready? Isn't that great, though? But you know what's great about it, honestly? Honestly. Is the plans that he has for each one of us is for our good. He wants to take us to heaven for our good. He wants to save us for our good. He wants to equip us for our good. He wants to use us for our good and the good of others. He wants to change us for our good. He wants to make us effective for our good. He wants to use us, and it's all for our good. What a God we have in Jesus. Praise God. That's the Father that we love. That's the Father that we, 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 we fall on our face before and we say, take me, Lord. Hopefully we can say that today. Take me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Randy is uh, Randy's a blessing to a lot of us that know him. And the more you know him, the more of a blessing he is. But I listen to his songs and there's something different about him. I listen to a lot of songs and I'm not into a lot of music, but I listen to songs and his songs are always like really deep and all about the Lord's business. And one of his songs is do what you must do. Says the heartache, the crying eyes, the trial has begun. Lord, you have a work to do in me. 
before it's done. Yet in my feeble, my feeble flesh, I cry, Lord, won't you let it pass me by? But I know that's not your way. So I bow and humbly pray. Give me the strength to stand and say. And I ask you to ask the Lord today to give you the strength and me the strength to say, don't let this trial end before the lessons learned. Don't let this heartache mend till I've made a turn. Don't let the healing start till you've emptied me of myself and put you in the depths of my heart. Don't let this trial end too soon. Lord, use it and do what you must do. The heartache, the crying eyes were one to a lot of songs, and I'm not into a lot of music, but I listen to songs. And his songs are always like really deep. And all about the Lord's business. And one of his songs says, do what you must do. Says the heartache, the crying eyes, the trial has begun. Lord, you have a work to do in me before it's done. Yet in my feeble, my feeble flesh, I cry. Lord, won't you let it pass me by? But I know that's not your way. So I bow and humbly pray. Give me the strength to stand and say. And I ask you to ask the Lord today to give you the strength and me the strength to say, don't let this trial end before the lessons learned. Don't let this heartache mend till I've made a turn. Don't let the healing start till you've emptied me of myself and put you in the depths of my heart. Don't let this trial end too soon. Lord, use it and do what you must do. The heartache, the crying eyes will one day pass away. Lord, I know you promised that I'd see a brighter day. That's his promise. We'll see a brighter day. But till that moment comes along, until I see you face to face, I will lift up this simple song, this simple life. I'll lift it up. On this journey, Lord, I pray, let me live from day to day trusting you along the way. Simple song, simple life, little bitty life. I'm a little bitty guy, one man, one woman. But am I committed to trusting you along the way? That's the question. Am I committed to saying, Lord, use it and do what you must do? Can we pray that today? Lord, let this trial continue until I learn the lesson that you intend for me. Don't let the healing start till you've emptied me of myself and made me who you want me to be. Can we say that today? Can we say, let it, bring it on, Lord. Bring on the trials. Can we say that? And reveal to me what you want to reveal to me and make me who you want me to be. 
I, I, I say it today. Do it, Lord. Squeeze me. Cut me. Make me who you want me to be because I know the plans that you have for me and they're for my good, not to harm me, but to give me hope. The Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was unique. The winner was not a runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. And the writer says, I want to run all the way with the flame of my torch still lit for him. I don't want to win the race. I just want to be faithful. Let's all close our eyes. Because there's two messages here. There's a message of a trial for a believer and an unbeliever. Don't you unbelievers just sit back and just say, Lord, you're knocking and I'm not going to answer. You're calling and I'm not going to listen. You have an opportunity again to say, I want to have this peace that you want to offer me today. I want to be freed from this agony and this trial. The trial has been taking me down a road and leading me to you. And I today, I want to say yes. The trial has been successful. You've achieved your result. You've caused me to see myself clearly. You've caused me to see that I don't know you. And I want to get saved today. Isn't that great? And that the plan is all good. It's for your good. The trial was good for your good. The, the goal was to, to bring you to a knowledge of him. And today I ask you right now, who wants to make that decision to give their life to him? Everybody's eyes are closed. All you have to do is put your hand up and say, that's it. Today, the trial has been victorious. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to say yes, Lord. Has the trial been effective? Or do you want the child trial to continue? Today, last chance. Just put your hand up and say, I want to ask Lord in my life. I want, to, I want to finish this. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to say, yes, Lord. I'm, st- I'm tired of fighting. And as Christians, let us just ask the Lord to have his way in our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We, we thank you that the saints came out today, and we pray for them, Lord, that they were blessed and encouraged by your word. And that the lesson was clear that we need to keep our eyes fixed on you. We need to trust you. We need to allow you to have your way in each one of our lives. And don't stop the work in us, Lord, until you've achieved your result. And through it all, help us to praise you and be filled with thanksgiving as we fight this fight, as we deal with the trials and the afflictions in our life. And we love you, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to do your good work in each one of us in your name. Amen. Amen.